0: Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. And so if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to James 2, and I'm going to be in verse 14. James 2, verse 14. It says this, James 2, verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, this faith is a trust. It is something that is connected with, if you were to say, I am a follower of Jesus, really that translation of modern to like us, that word faith, really, if you could look at it in the word trust. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have trust or faith in Jesus, in God, but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes. He goes really practical here. And they don't have food. If one of you says to them, as a follower of Jesus, as an apprentice of Jesus, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So it's like you connect or you meet someone, let's say in community or out in the streets, and now this one's really hard, like for me and for all of us. And they're, they're like kind of expressing to you where they're at, and you're just like, oh, God bless you, we'll see you. James is saying, there's no, there's no there's, you didn't do anything, you just said, be well with you. What good is it? He says, in the same way, faith by itself is not if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, this one stings, okay? You believe, James is saying to a community of churches, as Jesus has kind of taken his scene, those that are Jewish kind of saying, no, I believe and claim Jesus as the Messiah. They were being persecuted. So in this context, literally being killed in this time, many scholars would say it is, it is actually the same time where Paul in some ways has kind of taken his course and James and Paul are now connected. But before this, there was massive persecution in the church because someone claimed Jesus as their faith. So when he talks about trials, Consider it joy. He's talking about in that way. Like consider it joy when someone's trying to kill you for the name of Jesus. That's kind of hard, right? I don't know about that one. But that's the context. So he says, you believe that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? What? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Do you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did? We'll stop there. No, we'll go to verse 26 by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was accredited him as righteousness. Some translations say accredited, meaning he was justified and it was made righteous. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous, justified, right standing by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, church, coin, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I'll say that again. That, one's, that one hurts. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I want to title this conversation, um, I think up here it's, it's, yeah, there it is. True faith. True Faith, I was kind of wrestling with like the title of, my, of the messages that I give. I wanted to make almost like a thesis statement for everything that I'm saying, and I was kind of working it out with Kelly. And one thing that I, I'm realizing is when you look at James chapter 1, last week what we did was kind of like an aerial view of the, the chapter and also of the book. So the title of last week was actions are greater than words, Right? and the way that we live our life should be a reflection of the person of Jesus within us if we claim to be a follower of Jesus. James 2 uses that and he just goes way deeper. So I've titled it, True Fruit, True Fruit, because what is within you will produce something. And if it's likeness, it should produce goodness and joy and grace and mercy. It should produce the things of Jesus. When I was younger, um, my older brother Luke and I would watch <laughs> on MTV, I was probably like, I don't know, junior high. It was when Laguna Beach came out, if you guys know what I'm talking about. And it was like, Laguna Beach was like the reality show. It was so new to me, and I probably even shouldn't have even have been watching it, but I was, and I was with my brother, and it was like, man, this is so cool. Like, it had like this camera around people, and they were like in high school, and I didn't know that it was scripted. Like, I did it, and I just was so interested. I was like, man, and I couldn't wait. My brother and I would watch it, but it was, it was Laguna Beach, and it hooked me. It was the real Orange County, right? That was, like, the sub point. And then I got older, and then, like, the Kardashians came around, you know? And then, like, you're watching it, and you're a little bit older, and you're like, there's no way this is real life. Like, this has to be in some way, shape, or form scripted. And then, like, The Bachelorette or The Bachelor... Just, right, it's like, come on, it's gotta be scripted, right, <laughs> I'm coming for you guys, so we we watch those things, and like, it's great anticipation, it's like, wow, this is awesome, and you kind of get in this narrative format, and you're feeling the emotion they're feeling all the while, it's kind of like, fake, right, the question should be, if someone, if a camera crew were to see your life, and it probably at some times would be boring and mundane and just changing your children's diapers or taking them to school and going to work and doing the normal rhythm. But if someone were to step into your world with a camera crew, what would their outcome be after being with you for a week? Because it wouldn't be scripted. You wouldn't have any script to have. So the question is, like, what, what would you produce in that would the audience or the world or people watching it be able to say this person is of faith or would it just be in your week going to church Sunday clocking in clocking out and having nothing to do with like Jesus that Jesus part of your life and you have to ask yourself James is kind of coming at us in this way because the people in his context that he was writing to didn't have a problem with like works or they, yeah, they didn't have, they were doing, like, the law. They, they, they just weren't, like, stepping up in, in regards to what it looked like to actually follow Jesus. So they were Jews, so they followed the law in a very rhythmic, legalistic way. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says there's grace. And so, actually, to correct myself, they, they were more concerned about, oh, but, like, it's grace. It's, I'm good. Like, I have just claimed faith, and now I'm good. And, and James is pushing back, and he's saying, no, 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 no. There's something to be said about your works. So James chapter 2 is an expansion of the end of chapter 1. Chapter 1 ends with the verse, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphan and widow in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Religion is not the way we perceive the world today, the word in that, that context, that word. We have a bad connotation of that word religion, don't we? It's like, nah, I don't want that. Instead, James is using the word in the sense of actually having true, authentic faith. He's saying true, authentic faith produces fruit. It actually has something to say. So James then takes all of chapter 2, if you're reading it, to unpack that point or that statement. For example, that would look like not showing favoritism to the rich. The rich are like, oh, they great, I'm gonna like show favoritism to them and not show and not care about the poor. He's saying it's really practical. It's not giving empty hope to a person that's struggling. Go on and be fed and take care, knowing that they won't be fed and taken care of. Then he says to unpack it even further, it's kind of a faith that actually produces works, right? So that's found in James 2 verse 24, which is by works and not by faith alone. So, we're actually going to go like a little bit more theological today. Are you guys okay with that? It's much more of a teaching message. Yeah, Grandma Liz. It's much more of a teaching message than it is like a, a preaching one. I love preaching, but this one is like to be taught. So to go and dive in a little bit deeper with a theological understanding of what is grace, justified grace, righteousness, and what does it mean to be in like the law and what that looks like. And so Paul says in Romans three twenty-eight. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. How James and Paul are using the same word, because in the original context, that word justified and what we're reading is the same word. Justified with James and it's justified with Paul. But it seems like they're saying two different things. So how am I made right with God? By faith or by works? That's the question by what Jesus did or by what I do? Like what is it that makes me right by God? So there's two different justifications within the context. Is not context everything, right? Like you just look at this like past year, you go on the news and then you're like in the real scene and you're like, something is off here. There's, the context is missing. So when you look at that word justification, there are two different contexts. The first is in court ruled innocent. If you were ruled innocent, you would be justified by the judge. So the judge makes me good and right, which that word means to declare. The judge declared you good. The next word is to prove. If you really did spend the money your boss said, then justified, he justified it. You need to justify it with proof of like a receipt, right? So the first is to declare and the next is to prove. That's really important. In these two texts, we are getting a declarative justification and a prove-it justification because the context here with James and with Paul was different. So Paul's context is, it's to respond to those that were hanging on to Jewish legal law and their system, the Ten Commandments, and then the hundreds of them that came with it. All the commandments plus Jesus. That's what some of them were proclaiming. No, 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 no. It needs to be all of the commandments and Jesus. That's how you're made right with God. And Paul had an issue with that. He's like, no, that's not true. Romans 3, 21 to 26 says this, but now apart from the law, apart from all those rules, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith. You catch that? This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. So it's put on Jesus. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are, here it is, justified, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. This is Theology 101. God presented Christ as a sacrifice to atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate Jesus, God's righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who, here it is, justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Paul is going right at those that are trying to add on to the finished work of Jesus, right? You have Jesus, you have, that, that's great, but now you have, to do, you have to do all these things. And one of them are like, the Jews' law says you need to be circumcised. It's like, imagine that, Lord, help us, right? Like imagine in a, in a context where Paul never stood his ground theologically, and he didn't get what Jesus was trying to do with this whole justification. Imagine for the men that becomes Christian and you're not circumcised, it's like, good luck, you gotta get circumcised. That was happening on a whole nother level in the new church, in the New Testament. And so Paul's looking at this theologically and he's saying, no, 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 no. What Jesus has done has justified us. We are justified through the image and like almost the shadow of Jesus. It's not an add on. So he's very clearly, he's dismantling that kind of argument. And then in Romans 3, 27 to 28, he says then, where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is, here it is, justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So the context is of the Jewish law that had hundreds of do's and don'ts, right? That's where we're bringing this. That's where it's coming from. Paul's saying, it's no longer for you to boast in that. Because there's nothing to boast in. Like, there's absolutely nothing you can do to boast in. That would be on you, right, if you did that. Instead, the boasting now needs to be on God. So now let's go to James. What is the context there? So we got the context of Paul, so track with me, I'm sorry. That's the context of, of Paul. It's like Romans is like, a, like you want theology? Just read Romans, good luck. It's, it's a lot of meat and it's a lot of stuff, but if you take your time on it, you'll get a really good foundational perspective on what true theology is. So James's context is we learn from the whole of James responding not to those that are trying to hold us back from the law. James is responding to a skewed, not fully understood view of Paul. The pendulum always seems to swing, right? It's like, okay, if it's grace, then I'm just going to go all the way over here on grace, and then, like, all this stuff is, like, whatever. But then other people are like, no, it's not grace, and it's, like, oh, it's, it's works, or it's what I do with who I am in my body. I'm a living sacrifice. But sometimes we go way too much on that side of the pendulum, and there's no, like, there's no in between. There's no dance. So James's contact isn't the grace problem. It's the works problem on that side of the pendulum who were out trampling over the blood of Jesus with a careless lifestyle that were purposely doing whatever they wanted and then they would say, what? I'm forgiven, what? But I'm, I'm forgiven though, I got God's grace. Don't judge me, don't tell me how I should live my life. And it's like, no, 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 but you're, you're sanctified though, you're set free. There's something that should be different within you, there is something that has to produce, there's a fruit that should produce out of this. James's context isn't the grace problem, right? So James was after the people that believed this problem. I can add to a level to a sin because it's actually bringing more glory to God. So it's like more I sin, more glory to God, and like God will forgive me because of his grace. That's a skewed view, and that was the problem of the church right now that James was writing to. There are two different contexts here, right? But Paul also speaks to what James speaks to. So you can't say, oh, there's a contradiction. It's not. Paul says this in Romans 5. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase to show we would never be as good as the law. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Did you get that part? Where sin increases, God's grace increases all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ. So what should we say then? It's like this this popular claim of of Paul, and if I'm being honest, those that are on this side of the pendulum love to quote this part. What do we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means, God forbid. Paul's like, absolutely not. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Like why would you even wanna part, why would you wanna get that close to the line? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, we got someone being baptized today, who were baptized into his death, you're participating. We talked about that. Right, Becky? Like, when, when you're baptized, you're participating. You're saying, I am, I am stepping into the narrative of what Jesus did for me. So he died, he was buried, and he was risen again. And what baptism is, it's, it's a symbolism of an outward declaration of what I've already made internally. But I'm saying, I'm willing to die every day to Jesus. So really, if I'm being honest, I hope, like, this is the truth. When you claim Jesus, when you really claim him as a follower of Jesus when you're a student when you're a disciple when you're an apprentice you give up your right to be right you give up your right honestly some of the language says you are now slaves to Jesus and I don't know about you but if you disagree with that then think through you're going to be a slave to something just what is it social media being right ego how you look around family or friend, what your status is in career, how your house looks, right? The way that you are with your children and other people see like that is what Paul is trying to get at. He says, we were therefore buried with him, this symbolic language, through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, and that is healthy, true theology. So when you are baptized, you are participating with his death, burial, and resurrection, but the resurrection comes with a new life, not an old life. It's like, wait, 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 that's your old self. Why are you doing those things? Why are you stepping into those rooms that you know you're not supposed to be stepping into? Why are you participating with those people you know you're not supposed to be participating with? Don't you know you were bought with a price? With the blood of Jesus? We too may live a new life. And that is the gospel. That you can step into the new. And have true fruit. Right? True fruit. So, what was James preaching? Again, James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, someone who claims to have faith but has no deed? Can such faith save them? James 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without my deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. James 2.26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That's exactly what Paul said, is it not? It's exactly what he said. So Paul doesn't let us off the hook with, just keep doing what you're doing because you got faith. Again, Romans 8 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. This one's really good. If you are God's child, you are now God's heir, meaning you, 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 you have the key to the house. Right? Like when I got an, of a certain age, my mom and dad gave me the key to my house. And there was this healthy relationship of like, okay, okay. But, you know, if you come home too late, we're going to have to, like, talk about it, and you have a car, and that's great. But I had this certain amount of, like, authority and position, but I was able to go in and out of the house whenever I wanted. But something happens when we skew that, right? When we take that in an unhealthy manner. But there is something powerful about having the keys to a house, Right, there's authority that comes with that. And God is saying through Paul in the book of Romans, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's really interesting language. Co-heirs with Christ. And then he says this, I don't know, I don't, do we have that up there, we do. Right here, if, you see that word if? We, we miss this one all the time. I'll read it again. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings i don't know about you but that is like language of action is it not that i participate with jesus in his sufferings suffering could you let's be honest to a millennial or a gen z could be like stop doing the things you're doing or posting the things on social media that's like suffering to you right or Stop living the way that you used to live and begin to live a new way. And maybe for some of you, that's suffering because you have to get rid of some old habits or old people in your life. For others, it is much more painful going through loss or brokenness, right? Having someone pass away, having a split in relationship, and that we begin to participate in the suffering. So when when you suffer because you're co-heirs with Christ, Christ suffers with you. That's the beauty of Jesus is that he became man. He walked amongst us so that he could understand what we go through. He says, if, 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 if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. No, it's not just by faith alone, right? And that's not what Paul said. It's not by faith alone. Not what the Bible says either. If you share in his sufferings, you share in his glory. Wow, that sounds like James. Paul says what James has said in Galatians 5.13, but you are called to be free. So use your freedom not to indulge the sinful nature, but rather to serve one another in love. Ephesians 2.8, not of works that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship to do God's works. Philippians 2.12, continue to work There's an action required in that that produces some type of fruit. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I use this language a lot because I just think it's funny, but it's like a song, I think. But it's like, work it out, walk it out, right? I was considering making that the title, but I just didn't think it did justice to the message. But there is a a point of our life and our maturity in following Jesus where we no longer want to be on this side of the pendulum of just grace. Just grace, just grace. That is what you need every day, friend. You need to be reminded of that. But there gets a point in maturity where I actually want to step into this relationship with Jesus and, and learn how to suffer with him. And that's not a popular conversation. But we learn how to walk with him. We learn how to deal with him. We learn how to mourn with him. Colossians says this, and then we'll end with this in worship. You guys can come on up. Colossians 21 says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, like pre-Christ, you were alienated. You kind of did whatever you wanted. You had no like, conception of what you were doing and how it brought ramification, although you knew it because sometimes your actions really hurt people, but not at the degree we really understood. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he, Jesus, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And he doesn't end there. He says, if if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held in the gospel so coin church my encouragement to you and to me is we have to learn to walk it out just as much as we live it out just as much as we process it in our soul there has to be something that is produced in our faith with jesus Something has to come of it when we take on the person of Jesus. When we are baptized into his life, we are given a new life. If you continue in your faith, established and firm. So there's two different contexts of justification, right? One is prove and, and the other is to declare. One meaning that comes from both of them. True faith changes everything. True faith changes everything. Everything every part of your life, every relationship, when you begin to take on true faith from Jesus, and oftentimes it's slow, oftentimes it's not him in a hurry, it's us, oftentimes we have to kind of pause and allow ourselves to take on the rhythms that he's giving us. And that's where the prayer closet comes, that's where waking up in the morning a little bit earlier and just processing with Jesus, that's when allowing him to just love on you just because of who you are, not by your works. When Jesus was baptized, the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and Jesus did nothing. He hadn't even started his ministry yet. That tells us theologically, he doesn't really care about what you do. He cares about who you're becoming. One meaning, true faith changes everything. So then the story of Abraham credited as righteousness because of his faith, and then his faith was tested, James said. In that moment, he became a friend of God. But I believe in the Bible, Sammy, in the scriptures. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, James says in 2, verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they don't do anything about it. In fact, they probably know more about God than we do. On the surface level, they actually know he's God. They know that Jesus is the Christ. And yet we know that as well, but we're kind of in some ways can participate in the same like community as demons by not doing anything. So what does this mean to us? That faith alone saves? But the faith that saves, you never find it by itself. I got to say that again because I thought that was good. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves, you never find it by itself. Because when you really love something, something is produced. Always found with fruit on its branches. And we talked about this on Wednesday. Jesus said the same thing. If you abide in me, you will produce fruit. So true faith is never alone. So we must look like Jesus, walk like Jesus. We must aspire and try really hard and diligently. We must look at the culture and fight back with the culture and be shaped and changed, not into what the world wants, but into what Jesus wants, the full person that God is calling us to be in the new life that we've stepped into. And I don't know about you, but I wanna see a real change. I talk about this like every week because like this is where I'm at with my faith. Like I just want to be really serious about Jesus. I want my life, if someone brought a camera to Kelly and I, it would be really boring at times and it'd be really crazy at times. It would probably criticize in a way too fast rushed like perspective, but we also have a little child and Kelly's going to work and it's just, it's chaotic right now. But nevertheless, I would hope that someone would be able to say, this couple, this marriage, these people really love Jesus and they don't just love Jesus their action shows it and that should be the encouragement for you that when you abide in Jesus when you step into the person that Jesus calls you to be there are things that you have to let go of and others that you need to step into and I would argue as Jesus would then fruit real fruit is produced let me pray for you Jesus I pray for every person in this room As they wrestle with this, God, as they process this, Lord, I just pray that you would do a work in every person's heart, Father, from those that have children in high school. Or grandchildren, for those that their children has moved out of the house, God, to those that have little ones at home going to elementary school soon or preschool or high school. As tomorrow for many of us in the Chino District, school starts. I pray, Father, that you would remind us that your rhythm is the best rhythm. And it's not chaos, and we must try hard to find order through the Holy Spirit. But God, teach us a new way of life, a new look of life. Teach us, Lord, that the way that we posture who we are and what we say, we are becoming someone. And I pray that our community would, be, would become shaped and formed into the person of Jesus. I love you, Father. I'm so grateful for you. In your name we pray. Amen.